Today's teaching text follows on right from where we left off last week, and we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hope everyone is holding up pretty well as we've gotten back into the fall swing of things. Uh, this is my favorite time of year in New York City, but um, yeah, certainly this, this year feels a, a little bit different than most, uh, a, lot, a lot different. Uh, I am really encouraged by these new and continuing uh, prayer meetings that are happening right now in our church. As, as David mentioned, uh, I'm hosting one on Tuesday mornings on Zoom, 7.30 a.m., uh, where we just read through the lectionary passages for that day and, and pray together. I would love to have you uh, uh, join, join for that. Um, I also got to attend a midday prayer meeting on Wednesday at 1 p.m. that Amber and Jackie were, were hosting where we pray for our city and our nation. Uh, it was just such a, a lift to my spirit to get to, to pray together in those ways. And so I just really encourage you um, to, to join in, uh, in in these opportunities to pray together. Uh, if you're looking for one, tgcparkslope.com slash prayer. Um, has all the groups listed. Um, and uh, yeah, in fact, let's, uh, maybe let's pray right this, this minute. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we, we, we come to you right now. We, we bring our whole hearts. Um, Lord, I, I know that all those um, listening right now, we are bringing a whole host of expectations and longings and, and, and maybe wounds from this week or frustrations or hopes or joys or um, yeah, good news, bad news, and all in between, Lord. We just bring our real lives to you right now, and we ask in the name of Jesus, by your grace, that you would speak to us. Speak to your church by your Spirit. Lift up Christ before us. Lift up Christ in us. Um, bear the fruit of salvation and true discipleship in our midst today as we hear your word, and hopefully, God, that we are changed by it. Uh, the gospel would come to us again uh, and, and lift us up. May, may we be comforted uh, today in your presence. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember exactly where I was when I got the call that uh, my father had had a, a heart attack. It was, um, it was one of those middle of the night calls. Uh, it was on a Wednesday morning and we woke up, we kind of got a sense of what was happening and then we blearily shoved things in bags and, and dashed off to the airport to catch an emergency flight. Um, back to South Carolina, and and we spent those next days as you do. We were in the hospital right by his bed. I, I remember praying for my dad. I remember reading him uh, his favorite passages from from the Bible. And the days went by, and and it was uncertain. And then finally on Sunday morning, they told us that it wasn't looking good, uh, that his heart rate was going down. And so when he passed. Um, we had my mom's Baptist hymnal, and uh, we, we, we sang together standing by his bedside with tears uh, streaming down our face, uh, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. And that moment is, 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 of course, etched in my memory. I also won't forget where I was sitting uh, in, in a diner that I happened to love um, that didn't make it through COVID, which I'm, I'm very grieved about. But I remember where I was sitting uh, in this diner uh, when my sister and I finally had a life-changing conversation. It was, um, it was us comparing notes about something that we had um, uh, really painful that we had experienced as kids. And both of us had 
um, lived with the weight of it separately. We had borne this confusion and this pain and these memories uh, in different ways, and, and we weren't even sure if the other remembered um, the, the scenario exactly the same way. And I'll never f forget comparing notes and completing each other's sentences and, and sort of the bond of, of we went through this together um, that happened. And I remember the tears in her eyes um, when we both realized that we were, we were sharing the same pain, and it was a, a deeply bonding moment for us as, as a brother and sister. I also uh, have really clear memories uh, of so many of, uh, of my own mistakes that, I, that I, I think that I've moved past, but sometimes they'll surprise me, almost like I can't, I can't shake them. Things like my most embarrassing failures or times when I was particularly cruel or, or utterly selfish at, at, at a point in my life. And I'll, I'll have moments where um, I, I remember, you know, I'll just be like walking down the hall of my apartment and it'll just catch me, one of those moments, and it'll make me cringe inside I don't think ah oh, I like groan and drop my head and my I've had my I've had one of those moments happen and my kids will say what's the matter dad and I'm just like nothing nothing uh, just a bad memory uh, but the reality is for all of us right you could put your own stories in in where I've just mentioned a few of mine grief is a part of life to be a human being uh, is to be open to the possibility of beautiful and terrible things happening and I bet I don't have to convince you of that. 2020 has given us uh, plenty of reasons to grieve. I uh, was thinking back uh, even just to, to March, and uh, so many jokes, right? January feels like it was 10 years ago or something. But um, right in, in March, I, I, I felt like I you know, was taking it seriously that I knew COVID-19 had the potential to be, um, you know, some, something serious, but it really began to hit me um, that this was something like we had never seen before. When I was, I was sitting on my couch, I remember exactly this spot, I was watching an NBA game, um, you know, I don't, I don't always tune in until it gets towards playoff time, um, and they came out for warm-ups, and then suddenly the game was canceled, and I was like, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, that, that was an expensive decision, and uh, what, maybe this thing is, is way more serious than than I, I was thinking. And then over the coming days, right, it was like the dominoes fell. It felt like everything uh, was, was, was canceled. It was like our whole world is, is, is um, entering this new, this new place. And it was uncertain and it was um, disorienting. And then in early May, uh, it was right around uh, Champ's birthday, my youngest. I was working in my room, still trying to make sense of of, um, of what it meant for our church staff to become a production company, and uh, trying to work on 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 you know several of the things that were that were coming up for that week. And like like so happens more often than I would like to admit, I I was getting frustrated and distracted, and I grabbed my phone, and I was scrolling through, and I saw the video of Ahmad Aubrey. Uh, being shot while he was jogging in Georgia, and I was sh I was shaken up. Um, I was confused. I was I was angry. I was I was deeply sad. Uh, I sort of spiraled. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't couldn't get back to my work. Uh, I I felt like I really couldn't even pray. My prayers felt very sporadic. They were just like fragments flung at at, at God. 
And then it just continued, right? And and uh, there's so much that could be said, but by late May, there was there was George Floyd's death and then officer kneeling on his neck for over eight minutes. And I didn't know of Breonna Taylor um, when that had happened, but, uh, you know, back in March, but the, the news of her of her shooting uh, uh, emerged and, and the year rolled on. And it was just like the weight just kept being piled on our hearts, piled on our minds, piled on our souls. Uh, there were so many new updates to our pain. And, 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 and the earth itself, you know, it seems to be, to be groaning. We have these, these storms, and of course we've had years where there's storms, and we've had years where there's fires, but it just feels like on top of everything, like um, you know, these things are, 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 are ravaging, and our cities are, are groaning for, for change. Our, 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 our discourse amongst our, our, our citizens seems to be so fraught and divided. Um, just just a few days ago, police were shot while sitting uh, in, in their patrol car in, in L.A. And it's just like, uh, it, it's mind-blowing. It feels like hate is absolutely having a field day uh, in, in this year. 2020 has, has given us so many reasons um, to grieve. But, but if you're, you know, like me, and, and I know all of our experiences are, 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 are so specific, but we do have a lot of overlap and parallels this year has also given us many chances to numb out, um, to say, I, I can't, I don't want to feel anymore. I, I don't want to hear any more news. I don't want to pay attention. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to, I don't want to be, ch- I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to have to think about this. And it's not just, right, of course, it's not just the massive tragedies or the big news, right? We've, we're experiencing blatant injustice and a global pandemic and, 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 and these national, natural disasters all around us. But we all still have the daily griefs of everyday life, right? Many, many of us, um, right, here we are. I, I'm, I'm doing this on, on camera because we can't meet in person as a church. We can't have all those beautiful unplanned interactions that happen over coffee or an embrace or sharing a little bit about your week and, and, and the, the mounting grief that comes with missing those types of experiences. We haven't been able to share meals or have people into our apartments in the same way, right? Going back to school this year and the excitement or the dread, whatever that would normally you know, contain, now it's sitting in front of a screen. We've missed weddings, we've missed funerals, right? Trips to see family, right? This, maybe if there's ever been a year where we needed to hear Jesus say these words, it's this year. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus is beginning this definitive teaching on the kingdom of God, what it is, how it breaks into the world. He's he's expressing God's covenant love to Israel that he had promised in Abraham and promised in Moses and promised in David and promised throughout the story how it's being expressed, how it's being fulfilled. He's unveiling how the salvation of God comes to meet the broken and lost world. He's talking about who's included in this this massive inflow of grace in in the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching his followers how to live in the real world, right at the intersection of of life actually happening. And the second thing he says is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We're not going to go... 
as deep into the context uh, and the background as we did last week, every week. Um, but, but there's a few things that we do need to remember about how to read the, these Beatitudes. And the first is, is in that first word, the word blessed. We, we said last week that it's a, a translation of a Greek word, makarios, that often gets translated happy. Um, and that, that's helpful. It's getting us in the right direction, but it's not a full picture. Um, other words that are used are, are fortunate. Um, you know, in, in, in Greek uh, mythology, this was the word that was used to describe the sort of the contentment and well-being of, of, that the gods, you know, sort of lived in the state uh, of the gods in in in, in their heavenly realm. Uh, Many say an appropriate modern English translation would be congratulations or like wonderful news. But one important nuance in there is. The word does carry still the connotation of, of something being given as a gift, something being received. And so it's not like congratulations for your achievement. It's more like you've been favored, you've been blessed, you've, you've, been, you've been given something as, as a gift. And so as bizarre as that may have sound with blessed are the poor in spirit, it just gets even weirder here. How can Jesus mean happy, fortunate, favored are you if you mourn? If, if, you, if you go through immense pain, if you drag up an old memory that, that, that still hurts, what, what could he mean? Seriously, like, I mean, perhaps he, he means it's, it's a blessing because you're paying attention. Um, the world can be a painful place, at least you're paying attention. Uh, or, or perhaps he means, hey, you haven't gone completely numb, you haven't sank absolutely into apathy, um, you, you're, you're still listening to yourself and to the world around you. At least you can still feel so you can receive comfort. And, and those might be decent things. Like we said last week, if, if poor in spirit just meant uh, you know, an appropriate amount of humility, um, then we can sort of begin to make these beatitudes um, into good things or virtue statements that we're supposed to strive for. But I don't believe that's actually the most helpful reading of these beatitudes. I don't, I don't um, believe Jesus is saying, God wants you to mourn uh, and go through agony so he can comfort you. I don't, I don't think that's what Jesus uh, is, is most intending here. I, I, I think instead Jesus knows that many of those who are hearing him, that many of those who, who, whose faces filled the crowd who were in front of him as he gave the Sermon on the Mount were mourning. <laughs> they were going through life the way we're going through life. Some of the things we've already described this morning, um, they knew the deep pain and grief of, of being a human being. And he is saying, my kingdom announcement is for you as well. Um, you don't have to clean up and sort out all of your pain before you're able to come or qualified to come into the kingdom. You can bring all of your mourning. You can bring your broken heart. You can bring all of your grief, right? For the occupied nation that, that you're living in, right? The, all the promises given to your ancestors that seem like they're on delay because here's Rome. And they're just the, the next in a line of, of empires that have dominated this region and, and put the promises of God on hold for you. And you can bring that grief, but also the personal grief of those who have experienced loss for the child who died, for the marriage that failed, for promises in, you, in your life that feel like they're not being fulfilled, for a failed crop or, 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 or shame that you carry because of sin that you've committed or sin that's been done against you, for the divisions that were going on in their world. Right? We, we know our divided world. We're familiar with many of the divisions going on, but they had their own fault lines, right? Um, you often hear 
When, when people are setting the context for, for Jesus' teaching in the first century, some of the groups he was interacting with, we have him interacting with the Pharisees quite a bit. The Sadducees are, are, are in there. But there were four, um, four main groups that sort of often get mentioned in, in, in the divisions and the fault lines and how people were dealing with the political and religious realities that were going on in Jesus' time. I'll just mention them really, really quickly. This is, this is not meant just to be a history lesson. We're going somewhere with this. But the Pharisees, those are the ones Jesus interacted with the most. They were religious leaders. Leaders who were who were interacting really closely with the people in the synagogues. Um, they were trying to teach people to live the Torah because they said, unless we live the Torah, God's not going to rid us of these oppressors and bring us back into the place of promise. So they were trying to help people obey the Torah. But the problem with that was they they drew a fence around the Torah. It was like instead of just obeying the laws of Torah, we're going to keep you so far from getting close to that that they taught all these traditions and, and human rules as 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 massive burdens on on. On, on the people. Then you had the Sadducees, who were sort of a religious ilk, but slightly different than the Pharisees. Um, these were religious leaders who had political power. They, many of them had compromised uh, with Rome. Uh, they were making the most of their places as an occupied people, but they were mediating the power through Rome to, to the others, and they were, they were benefiting greatly um, from that. Then there were the Essenes, right? These are sort of like the monks. Um, they said, we have to withdraw from the corruption of this world. We have to f- create our own communities and preserve them and keep the Torah and, and stay away from everyone else and, and, and from their community at Qumran. We have the Dead, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, they, they, they lived in this withdrawn setting. And then uh, another group was the Zealots. And the zealots were passionate that Rome had to be removed, whatever it took, even if it was by violent means, in order for God's promises to be ushered in. So you just see a really wide array of approaches to how to deal with the problems, the brokenness, the grief of the world that Jesus was speaking to. And we have the same exact thing, right? Many of us, um, uh, we wildly disagree about the best way to deal with the most prominent problems in our world and, and the, the grief in our world. And that would have been true in Jesus' day as, as well. The, the, the one group that often doesn't get mentioned um, was, uh, is, is translated Am Aharetz, which was the people of the land. And that was the people who didn't fit into any of those four categories. They weren't Pharisees or Sadducees or Essenes or, or Zealots. They're just folks. They're just people. They're living their life. Many of them would have felt absolutely torn between all of these influences, still trying to make it right in the victory and the tragedies of everyday life. And these are the people who are gathered in front of Jesus, just a few of the, the tension points pulling at their lives. And so what a thing that to that group Jesus begins his most famous sermon with unexpected blessing before anything is required. He starts by blessing people who more than likely would have thought themselves excluded from any blessing that God would be bringing. Maybe it's for the Pharisees. Maybe it's for the Sadducees. Maybe it's for the Essenes who've, who've withdrawn or the Zealots who were so, so passionately trying to free our nation. Maybe it's for someone else, but not for me. And to, to those who mourn, to those who are poor in spirit, Jesus begins with unexpected, upside-down blessings that kind of sound impossible. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I want you to remember how Dallas Willard put this, even though we heard it last week, because I just want this to be fresh in our mind. The Beatitudes in particular were not teachings on how to be blessed. They were explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship with Jesus. 
They singled out cases that provide proof that in Him the rule of God from the heavens truly is available in life circumstances that are beyond all human hope. Jesus would have known so many of the ways. He was Am Aharetz. He was of the people of the land. Um, he would have known so many ways that his hearers were mourning. And I just want to say just a few things about the ways we may be warning. Not, not um, mourning, um, not, not specific grief, but categories uh, for, for, for a moment. We've already mentioned some of the specifics, but let me just give you some broad categories. Who are those who mourn? What, what do we mourn over? And um, I, I think we mourn over our, our sin, our brokenness, our, our failings. I think we mourn over the world's sin, um, the, the compound effects, the systemic effects of the world's brokenness. And I think we mourn over death. And, and, and maybe there's something that you can think of that doesn't fit into one of those categories neatly. But I think if we use broad strokes, that, that those three categories hit a lot of the things that cause our hearts the most grief. Our failings, the failings of the world, how their compounded effects affect our lives and, and the lives of those around us. And and actually the reality that, that we're facing death in this world. So let me just mention each of those quickly. First, our sin. If we're honest with ourselves, uh, not an easy task, but if we're honest with ourselves, we won't be able to miss the reality that we contribute to the pain of the world. We contribute to the pain of our own lives. And I, I, I think it's, um, it's not damaging to ourself to admit that. It's actually the beginning of healing for ourself to admit that. Uh, we often try to meet the deep needs of our souls um, in places that were never intended to sustain that level of, of expectation or to meet that level of need in our, in our inner person. We, we uh, in many ways, deliberately and inadvertently go against the way of God, the Word of God, the character of God. We choose our own way, right? All the way back to the garden, we, we seek to sort of be our own our own, own gods, the captain of our own ships. And we might call this freedom, right? This is sort of uh, something we wrestle with in America is what is a true vision of freedom? We might call it freedom to be able to go on our own way. And to some extent it is, but it is a shallow and distorted freedom. So much of our pain actually comes from being dislodged from our heart's true home, the place that we're meant to abide in the love of Trinity and the love of one another, to, to be in God's love and to love one another. This is close to how Jesus summarized what life is all about. So when we use our freedom to go our own, our own way and to insist on meeting the needs of our life as, 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 as we see fit, um, this isn't just a sentiment. This is spiritual life and death. Uh, sin separates us from God. That's, that's one of the, the most profound and, and prolific effects that the scriptures describe. Um, basically, that means it, 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 when it fractures our relationship with God, it strains our relationship with one another. It, it, it impacts our, our identity, how we think and, and feel about ourselves, and it impacts how we deal and, and relate to the world. So at every level of relationship, we experience brokenness. In our world, we, we, we have to come to, to a place that we're will, we are willing to say, I play a part in this. The line of good and evil isn't out there somewhere. It runs down my own, the center of my own heart. And when we do, what do we do when we come to that awareness? We mourn. We, we admit, we, we, we bring the pain, we scrape it out, we share it with another, we share it with God. We, we, we ask for help or we deny it and then we just prolong the process. But because of our sin, we mourn and that's totally appropriate. That's, 
That's a part of our, of our healing. But also we, we mourn the world's sin, right? We, um, the, the, the sin is not just something that's personal. It is, it is communal. It is generational. It is systemic. There are compounds of uh, effects of it through generations, through, uh, you know, that ripple through community. And it, it, they also cause us to mourn. Sin, of course, is in us, but it is very obviously in the world as well. Like War and, and, and racism and systems of oppression and, and, and systemic greed and industries that are built on exploitation exploitation, right? It blows my mind that pornography makes more money than medicine in, in, in the world today. And that, that that's an example that evil can get ingrained in a system, exploit people, and absolutely trample over life. This was true in the first century. It's true in our day. So we mourn our, our own personal contribution, but we, we mourn the generational compound, compounded systemic brokenness of our world. And then we mourn death. Either you've stood in a hospital room with tears streaming down your face the way I described at my dad's passing or you're going to, I'm sorry to say. The theological result of sin is, 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 is death in that we are separated from the source of life. Our physical and spiritual life finds its source in God and to separate from that is to, to bring into this gap the, death. Uh, but, but that's not just a theological idea. We experience it every day. We experience it in the wearing down of our own bodies. We experience it in the loss of our loved ones. We experience it in threats to our children, threats to our, our, our safety. Our world faces every, death every day. And so we mourn or we numb out and ignore. And Jesus is looking into the hopeful faces of those who It says in the end of Matthew 4 that he had just healed the sick. Can you imagine why the crowd is pressing in? Because they know the reality of sickness and death. It was all around them. They're pressing in. They know this man has healed the sick, but some of them know for others that they love it was too late. There are those he's not going to get to. He didn't heal every single person, and so we mourn. Our sin, our brokenness, the world's sin, the world's brokenness, and death. This reality that all of us face. Blessed are those who mourn. Celebrate. Good news. Wait, what? For they will be comforted. For they will be comforted. How? Through the person speaking, most simply, uh, through this Jesus, this promised Messiah, the promises made all the way back to the beginning, through his kingdom coming, through the salvation that he's offering. It's so critically important for, for us to remember that this sermon is, is coming to us, but what God didn't just send us a sermon. He came to us as a person. He knew we didn't just need disembodied ideas about how to deal with the, the, the gravity and the tragedy of the brokenness or the promise and hope of the world. He knew we needed an example, lived flesh and blood reality. The, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is so important because um, it, it speaks not just to what Jesus is saying, but how he's saying it and how it is going to be fulfilled. I love how N.T. Wright sort of says some summary statements about what Jesus is doing in this sermon. He says, Jesus is not suggesting that these are simply timeless truths about the way the world is about human behavior. If he was saying that, he was wrong. Mourners often go uncomforted. 
The meek don't inherit the earth. Those who long for justice frequently take that longing to the grave. This is an upside-down world, or perhaps a right-way-up world, and Jesus is saying that with His work, it's starting to come true. This is an announcement, not a philosophical analysis of the world. It is about something that's starting to happen, not about a general truth of life. It is gospel, good news, not good advice. You will be comforted because of the reality that Jesus begins his ministry saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And when this kingdom breaks in, when it spreads like a a mustard seed sowed in the ground that grows up into something that provides life and nourishment to so many, it is going to be a comfort to your pain, to the systemic brokenness of the world, and ultimately to the problem of death that we have dealt with through generations. So blessed are those who, who mourn. They will be comforted. Not maybe they will be comforted. They will be comforted because the kingdom of God is coming in real reality through this person and to anyone who will come from those who are listening to receive the invitation of life that is present there. The comfort is going to come. I gave you three ways that we mourn. I'll give you really quickly three ways the comfort is going to come. Through the person of Jesus, through the body of Christ, and through his resurrection. First, the person of Jesus. This is a man, Jesus, who's speaking in this sermon giving and embodying this, these words. And, and, and later it's going to be said that he is our high priest. He is able to sympathize with our weakness. Basically the mourning, the grief, the pain, he's acquainted with it. He is a man acquainted with sorrow, not unfamiliar with walking into the awkwardness of a hospital room where people are grieving. Not unfamiliar with walking up to a family who's just, who's just been given a devastating diagnosis or someone who's lost, even lost a child or, or seen their dream absolutely dashed or gotten way on later into life thinking certain things would have been true for them, certain things would have happened for them, and they, just, they simply haven't yet. Jesus was acquainted with grief. I've been getting so much life from a, a book that I've mentioned to, to our, our church in several different ways, but Gentle and Lowly, um, a, a book about the heart of Christ that I, I was looking at this summer. I, w- I want to I share this from, from Dane Ortland from that book about Jesus as our high priest and how he identifies with our pain, how our comfort comes through that reality. Consider your own life. When the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that, that our one shot at significance has slipped through our fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when the longtime friend has let us down, when a family member betrays us, when we feel deeply misunderstood, when we are laughed at by the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and sits close to us, embraces us, with us, solidarity. Our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into into felt isolation. The Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We are never alone. 
The sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and now is shouldered by him in the present. Amen, church. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted not by some disembodied philosophical idea, but by the actual embrace of Jesus, our high priest, who was thoroughly able to sympathize with our weakness at every level, at the full nuance and all the uniqueness and all the detail of your particular pain. Christ has been there in the past and is shouldering that burden now our church comes to our our comfort comes to us church through the person of Jesus where do you go with your pain go to Jesus run to Christ feel his embrace comes to us through the person of Jesus but also quite frankly comes to us through the body of Christ one of the primary ways God uh, tangibly comforts us in in, in this world obviously through his spirit through his world through through a sense of of his embrace but many times that will come to us through our brothers and sisters in Christ God speaks God comforts through his body Jesus is the head we are the body and there is when there's a, a, a uniting there when there's a wholeness there when there's integrity there we, we begin to express that same comfort that Jesus shares with us. That's why, honestly, it's so important. Let's pray together, right? Not so our personal piety can go up or so that we can tick off, hey, this many people are praying at prayer meetings at TGC Park Slope during the week. It's so we can bear one another's burdens so that we can be a part of being priests uh, to one another and, and, and mediating the presence of God and speaking the, the words of life and, and, and joining our faith together and saying we're knit in this life together. It's too hard to do it alone. We were never intended to do it alone. We have to do it with Christ and we have to do it with the body of Christ knit together as one another. So we pray together so that our lives can be shared no matter what, right? No matter if we're isolated into our homes and we're having to do it on Zoom or we can only meet a few people at a time in the park and we're not sure when we're going to be back in the middle school and all that. So what? Yes, we are more but we're pressing into the comfort available to us in the person of Jesus and represented in our brother and sister in Christ. What a thing. The last thing I'll mention is that we take comfort in the resurrection of Jesus. And I know we're only in Matthew 5 and that's going to come at the end of these gospel accounts, but We've said when we're talking about the kingdom of God, whatever it is, salvation and joy and and, and freedom from exile and returning home and forgiveness and and deliverance and freedom, it is already. It's coming in the person of Jesus, but it's also not yet. There's a future reality that we're waiting to, to fully experience one day. Jesus is called the firstborn from among the dead. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. That's ultimately the hope. As my mom creaks open her Baptist hymnal and sings, her husband of 26 years is passing on and dying, and she doesn't know exactly what life is going to be about, but she stirs her heart to sing a hymn of comfort. And what's it about? It's about the reality that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just for him. It isn't just a one-time thing. It's not a disembodied theological idea. It is coming to become our very life and saying we are going to pass through death with Christ into a life that is beyond our imagining. These very disciples who are on the front row listening to the Sermon on the Mount, they are going to mourn. They are going to lock the door for fear of those who would be coming for them. They are going to shed tears. They are going to be overwhelmed at the shame and guilt of their own failures and mistakes. And comfort is going to come to them. It's going to say, look at my hands and look at my side. Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Comfort is going to come and restore them on the beach around a meal. Say, let's eat fish together and you're forgiven. Go and feed my lambs. The resurrection of Jesus is our hope.
Matthew 5 is giving us the beginning of Jesus' public ministry with this sermon. The second thing he says is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In Luke's gospel, in Luke 4, as Jesus is beginning his public ministry, he goes into the synagogue and he reads from Torah. And he reads from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61. And then he sits down and he says, Listen, what I just read is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you remember it, church? Do you remember what he says? Let me give it to you. This is Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of, instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. That's Jesus' ministry. That's what He's come to do. That's why He can say, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and they will be comforted in and by my life, by my covenant love, by my life, death, and resurrection. Maybe there's never been a year where we needed to hear more that he's going to comfort those who mourn, that he's going to bind up the brokenhearted, that he's going to give a beauty instead of ashes, a, a, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Maybe there's never been a year we needed to hear more. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. To know that comfort comes from Jesus who knows our pain, who has passed through death and is offering us something else. Life, Victory, comfort, let's come to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask right now, in our hearts, in our minds, in our posture, and in whatever ways we can, we would run to You right now, Jesus. Experience Your embrace. Hear the invitation of Your love radiating through Your words, radiating through Your promises inviting us to life and life in the full. The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but you, Jesus, have come to give us life and give it to the full. May we experience it. May we receive it. God, may we not settle for any uh, false offerings, for any substitute life, for any life that is, is apart from you or away from you, no matter how uh, compelling the lies may, ha may have, have become in our world, no matter how powerful cultural influence may be on us, may we be those who look to Jesus, who fix our eyes on Christ. You are our, the pioneer of our faith. You are the author and the finisher, the beginning and the end. You are the place we're trying to get and the way we get there and the person who walks along with us, God. Come, Jesus, embrace your church. We need to return to your heart. God, help us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Return with all of our heart to you today. I thank you for the reality that your mercy is new every morning. Your grace means we can start right now, or we can continue right now. We can bring our full hearts to you. Give you thanks and praise, Jesus. Do your work. Do what only you can do. Minister to your people right now as we worship, as we receive this meal. In Jesus' name, amen.